Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Rick Hawkins of Quest Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I want to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast is going to be informative, insightful, and inspirational for your life. Listen every week because we'll have a special word just for you. Paul writing to the church at Rome, chapter 4, verse 16. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. I like it. And we are all certain to receive it. My God. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's, it is free for us. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. This is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham, listen to it, believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Come on, somebody. Even when there was no hope, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb, his wife. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. King James Version said, Abraham's faith never staggered. Mm, I like it. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted it him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't for Abraham's benefit only. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that we also, he also, God will also count us as righteous. Why? If we believe him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. We're going to take our text this morning from verse number 21. I'd like to read it from the King James Version. And being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able also to perform. And being fully persuaded what he had promised, he was able also to perform. I'm just going to talk and encourage you this morning on the subject. I still have expectation for God's promise. I still look at your neighbor and said, it's got to come to pass. 
like the preachers say, that was a hater. Look at another neighbor and, and tell them it's got to come to pass. It's got to come to pass. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. We set our expectation and our anticipation and our faith solely in and on you. We know you're in the room. We've already praised you and you inhabit the praises of your people. So God, as we lean our faith forward, we're asking you to speak to us. God, let your anointing be in here in such a way that God, that we speak things that we didn't even study to say. That God, your Holy Spirit goes to work and somebody's, somebody's life would be encouraged. That somebody's confidence would be lifted. Somebody's faith would be shored up that you will do what you said you will do we trust you we give you glory we praise you we bless you we lift your name on high we say god have your way in jesus name amen and amen i need somebody to just lift up a shout of praise create some faith energy in the room in jesus name Find somebody near you before you're seated and tell them it's got to come to pass. All right. Come on now. Come on, somebody. Give God praise. I like the Apostle Paul. I don't know about you. I like him. He fought for all the Gentiles. I'm not Jewish. So if I was living in that day, he was fighting for me. Because there was a whole group of people that didn't want me saved. And in that like church today, there's a whole lot of people that they want to tell you about the love of Christ, but they don't actually want you saved because they think you're too dirty for it. You don't deserve it. They think you messed up too bad. You came from the wrong line. You live on the wrong side of the tracks. You don't deserve it. So I appreciate the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul, he fought for me. He fought for me. He fought for me. And because he fought for me, I like to hear his words. And so when he's writing to the, to the church at Rome, this is the most secular part uh, of in the entire civilization on earth is Rome. And there's more Gentiles clearly in Rome than there are Jews in Rome. He's writing to the church there and he encourages them regarding the promise of God in their life. And he chooses to use an example. And the example is Abraham. And we know Abraham because he's the father of faith. He's the father of faith. And he uses Abraham because he talks about how Abraham received his calling before he was ever considered a Jew. As a matter of fact, it was out of his lineage that the Hebrew line was birthed. 
And so there were no Jews before Abraham. So if God can justify Abraham because of his belief before there was even a Jewish nation, then a Gentile could be justified by their faith as well. And there's some keys locked up in the way that Abraham lived and believed. And I like, I like it. I like how Paul talks about Abraham and he says he was persuaded. Paul lets us in on this little principle a little while later when he's writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Right at the outset of his letter to the people at Philippi, he tells them, being confident, being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it. I'm going to say it again. He who began a good work in you, he will perform it. Let me encourage you. If God begins any work, you can guarantee that work is already finished. I'm going to say that again. If God began any work, you can already guarantee that that work is already finished. We have problem really conceptualizing that principle because when we start a thing we don't have a manifest end to that thing we have to work toward it and i know some people who get started real good they start out real good but they finish oh so bad I'm not going to talk about my football teams because I refuse to slander them. I am loyal and faithful, so I will not put them down. But they sure have a hard time finishing this year. God help it if the work we were depending on was a work we started. God help us if that's what we were depending on. Because I don't know about you, but I have a lot of people that started out with me on my journey. And I can't find them today. I might be the only one that I had somebody tell me, I'm going to be with you for the rest of your life. I love you. And that same person might have stabbed me in the back. Or maybe they just fell out, but they're not with me anymore. So God help us if the work we're depending on, the good work, is something we started. For if that was the case, by its general nature, that work would be in jeopardy. Because we are finite beings. We are temporal beings. We are weak, not strong. It takes a spiritual experience with God and an infusion of his power for us to walk in strength. So if we started it, God help us because by its nature, it's already in jeopardy. Because I'm a good guy. I'm a, I'm a man of integrity. At least I, I choose to believe that. I walk the best I can. I try the best I can. I do the best I can. I learn the best I can. But I can promise you, I falter quite often. 
just when I think I'm doing it just right, I see how I'm messing it all up. And I can tell you right now, God help us if the person I'm depending on is me to get the work finished. Because if God start the work, then you can guarantee it's already finished. Because his ways are not, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. We start at the beginning and try to get to the end. But God does not do that. Jeremiah, he, pro, he prophesies in Isaiah that he begins with the end of a thing and then comes back to the beginning. What he does is he declares an end, he creates a finished work, and then he thinks, how can I get them there? And then he gives them a beginning. That's why when Jeremiah says, he says, before, when he's talking to Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Because God had a relationship with us in eternity past. When he was deciding when to send us into time, he looked through the annals of time and how everything was going to line up and what needed to happen here and how technological advances needed to go and how this needed to grow and this society needed to get strong and this one needed to get weak and this person begets this person and that and this and that and this. And then all of a sudden he said, Elder Pat, on this day, I need you to show up. Because before he formed us, he knew us. So we made an agreement with him in eternity past to come into now. And what we knew then is not what we know now. What he showed us was the end. And then he gave us a beginning. I am persuaded of this. I'm very confident in this. That he who began. A good work in you will complete it. Why do I believe that? I, I believe that like Paul. Paul said that Abraham was persuaded. So that's going to be our first point, persuaded. Persuaded. And then like Brother Mike said, Isaiah, God speaking in Isaiah 55, 11, when my word goes forth, it shall accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. Not only that, it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. What it simply means is not it's going to bring riches and, and, and all that. That's what we think of when we think of prosperity. That's not what it means. What it means is it's going to work. It's going to do its work. It's going to labor and accomplish its work in that thing. So Abraham has a persuasion about him. He is persuaded. That God will do what he said he will do. The promise in verse 16 comes by faith. Promise comes by faith. Faith can't exist without expectancy. Faith cannot exist without expectancy. Now this little point I wasn't going to bring into this message, but right now I feel like I need to. I say this often, and I'm just going to rehearse it again. This way we can grab it. There's a difference between believing and having faith. Many people like to make them synonymous, and they're not. 
They need one another. They're both necessary. You must believe to have faith. You can't have faith without believing. But believing has to graduate before it can become faith. Believing is a conviction. Faith is an action. Faith happens when you believe something so much that you're willing to walk out on faith because you believe what's going to happen. Can I get an amen? Faith is acting on what you believe. It's living by what you believe. Where there is no expectation, there is no receptivity. Where there is no expectation, there is no receptivity. Why is that important? Because in order for miracles to happen, in order for fulfilled promise to manifest itself, there has to be an environment of faith for it to be nurtured in. Jesus, when speaking of Nazareth, said he did not many miracles there because of their unbelief or their faithlessness. They did not have faith. Now, let me tell you something. Your unbelief does not limit God. I'm going to say that again. Your unbelief does not limit God. I've heard it said the only thing that can hinder God in your life is your unbelief. I'm sorry, but that's a misnomer because nothing can limit God. There are no limitations on God. What your unbelief does is limit your ability to receive what God wants to give you. To receive what God wants to give you. So he did not make many mighty works in Nazareth because of their unbelief. It wasn't that those mighty works weren't present in the place. Because I don't know about you, but every miracle I've ever seen had Jesus right up in the middle of it. And if Jesus is right up in the middle of it and the miracle ain't happening, then I got to wonder, are you just not receiving what he's offering? This is found in a very simple principle that Jesus came to save the world. Everybody. When his blood was shed, it didn't cover my sins because I said a prayer. It covered my sins because he said so. Because he laid down his life. But just like it covered my sins, there's not a person present here or living on earth that that truth is not real for. His blood covers all sin of the whole world. The question is, will you receive it? Will you receive it? Where there is no expectation, there is no receptivity. Expectation can also, if we looked in our thesaurus, we'd find the word hope. Now Abraham, in our text, it says, where there was no reason to hope, he still hoped. Where there was no reason to have faith, he still had faith. Because in his scenario, it was impossible to receive the promise God gave him. But he still had hope. Worry is a hope blocker. 
Worry is a hope blocker. He did not many miracles there because of their unbelief. I was convicted this week, and this came to me before I even knew I was going to be preaching this word. I was convicted personally about this in Matthew 6. When Jesus is communicating to his disciples in Matthew 6, we normally read that text, and the the verse we like to pull out of it is verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. As if that was the point of that whole dialogue. Because we're interested in all these things. And as long as there's an answer to all these things being added unto me, that's what I want to focus on. So I'm going to disregard all the rest of what he said right there. And I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God so all these things can be added unto me. But the point of the whole dialogue right there was actually verse 34. Where he said, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Worry is a hope blocker. If I'd ever seen a generation saturated in worry, it's this generation. We're worried about the bills. We're worried about the president. We're worried about the sports. We're worried about gender relations. We're worried about our kids at school. We're worried about the church. We're worried about celebrity pastors. We're worried about everything, and we bring that up into our church houses, and we wonder why God isn't moving the way he's supposed to be moving. Worry is a hope blocker. Proverbs teaches us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Deferred literally means to delay. Hope delayed makes the heart sick. Have you ever wanted something so much and it just took too long to get there? Some of you said, yeah, my tax return. (laughs) And we're so concerned about it, we check it every day. Go irs.gov. We put in our Social Security, the amount of the return. We have no date for you yet. (laughs) Worry. If you watch the news, if you get on social media, if you talk to your children, if you go to work, there's worry, 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 worry. Why? Because everything has gotten so convenient. It's gotten so, we've gotten so consumer-minded that we're worried about what we're going to get, what we're not going to get, how we're going to get known, how we're going to get promoted, how can I get more money, how can I get more notoriety, how can I advance a little further, and worry, worry, worry. And worry is a hope block. Jesus did not many miracles there because of their unbelief. Our disappointments create worry. Our our perspective of the future creates worry. Worry and anxiety will kill hope. I want to encourage you in this. Tomorrow belongs to God. Tomorrow belongs to God. 
So stop messing with his stuff. Stop messing with his stuff. What he gave us was a word. That's what he gave us. He gave us something to put our hope in. He didn't give us something to worry about. He gave us something to put our hope in. You see, the reason why the Egyptians didn't cross over the Red Sea, I mean the Egyptians, the Hebrew people, when they left Egypt, didn't go right into the promised land after they crossed the Red Sea, is because God had to take that time to get Egypt up out of the people before they could walk into their promise. Because you have to repent. Repentance isn't getting on the knees and crying and asking God to forgive you. That's not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of mindset. We are assured that if we would renew our minds, that we would see the will of God come to pass in our life. Just look at Romans chapter 12. If we renew our minds and change the way we think. Abraham is so persuaded. He's so persuaded at the word of God that even when he gets his promise, Isaac, when he gets the promise to Abraham, if you guys want to know what the promise is, the promise is that your seed will be blessed and the, and the whole earth will be blessed because of your seed. The problem is Abraham was old and Sarah was barren. Abraham was old and Sarah was barren. Which means she couldn't have any kids. Which means he had no seed. But he was still persuaded that God would do what he said he would do. He was so persuaded that when the promise came to pass in his life, Isaac, his son, he's willing to lay Isaac down on an altar of sacrifice to kill him. Because God said so. Here's what he knew. God will do what he said he will do. So even if I have to kill this promise, I'm okay because God will provide another promise. But if I know God like I know him, I'll just be obedient and he'll find a way to make this promise live. Because I don't want to get ahead of myself. That's how persuaded he was. Worry blocks persuasion. Worry blocks the conviction. Persuaded. Faith is the evidence of things. Actually, it's the substance of things and the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is. He was persuaded in a time where nothing was sure. We have to find something we can count on. We have to find something we can stand on. We have to find something that can keep us going. Because when you, when you do have that bill come in and you ain't got the money in the bank, what do you have to stand on? How, when, when mama gets sick and you're praying and you're praying and the doctors have no answers, you have to have something to stand on. When Junior is out acting a fool and he won't come home and you want him to come home and you're praying and you're praying, you have to have something to stand on. He was persuaded. Fully persuaded that what he promised, it was God's promise. I want to pause and talk about the promise for a minute. The promise 
doesn't belong to you. It's God's promise. It doesn't belong to you. It's God's promise. What the promise gives, it belongs to you. But it's God's promise. You don't want it to be your promise. You want it to be his promise. Trust me on that. You don't want him to give you his promise and you possess that. You want him to hold the promise and just give you the result. If he can get, just give you some word on that promise, then you're in good shape. God's word and his being are inseparable. God's word and his being are inseparable. His integrity is impenetrable. I'm telling you something that you should be hearing and amening. I tell you why. Because if God says it, it becomes him. That's why the Bible says that he is not a man that he should lie. What he says has to come to pass because it's him. That's why you want it to be his promise and not your promise. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The Bible tells us that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. I like it that Jesus quotes this, this verse. It's from Deuteronomy, if you dig it out. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Because you need that word to be able to live, or you won't have any hope. Why live if you don't have that word? And so Jesus is in the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days. He hasn't eaten a thing. He's fasting in the wilderness. And at the end of 40 days, the devil comes to him because he knows he's at his weakest point what I just told you is when you've gone through all that you've gone through there's no morsel of food to replenish your body you've been out in the wilderness it's been a dry season you've been all alone there's been nobody there for you that's when the devil shows up that's when the devil shows up and the devil's slick because he knew who he was he knew who he was. That's Jesus. That's the Son of God. I know exactly who you are. I know that you have power over me. I know that your heel is the one that's going to crush my head. I know exactly who you are. Let me see if I can stump you. My little, my little slick tongue, my whispering ways like I was a serpent in the garden. I got the first Adam. Maybe I can stump the second Adam too. So he goes to Jesus in the wilderness and he's talking to him because he knows he's starving. He's been fat. I don't know about you. I fasted a, a, a few days before. I think the longest I fasted was 20 days. And I might have been fasting and had a great spiritual experience, but I was starving. I wanted to eat. I wanted something. Anything. Like Eddie Murphy said, you give me a saltine, I'll think it's a Ritz. He comes to Jesus and he says, look, I know who you are. I know who you are. As a matter of fact, I know how strong the word is in your mouth. I know how strong the word is in your mouth because you are the word made flesh. So let's see if we can defile this word. Because if we can defile this word, then everybody else is in jeopardy. Because God is not a man that he should. And... And so he tells Jesus, turn these stones into bread. 
so that you can nourish your body. You've already proven what you need to prove. And Jesus wields the sword. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And he wields it like a master swordsman. That's what we need in this day. We need some saints that are willing to pull out the sword. You know, you know why more saints don't pull out the sword? Because you have it. You have it. I'll give it to you. You have the sword. But most of you don't have it accessible. It's not accessible. So when you need it, you got to go. You're looking for the sword. You're looking for your tool and you because you don't have it accessible. But Jesus was ready made. He had that sword right at his hip and he was ready to use it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Why does this matter to our message? Because when God says a thing, he does a thing. I still have expectation for God's promise because it's got to come to pass. If he said it, he will do it. That's why, that's why I like this. That's why when God started everything, when he began the whole thing, he wanted to make sure there was a very clear foundation here. He wanted to make sure that there was a reference point. You forget everything else, you can at least look to this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And what happened? <laughs> Seems simple, right? Because everything God says happens. And so he set it up right at the start. Whatever I say will come to pass. Whatever I've said is going to come to pass. So he lays out a seven-day track of beautiful creation because he wants to show that anything that comes out of his mouth happens. Anything he says happens. If he said it, he will do it. And Abraham was persuaded that what God promised, he would perform it. All right, let's finish up. Let's finish up. He was able to perform it. You see, God likes difficult. The reason I know this it's not just because of all the stories I've read in his word, but because I've lived some years in my life. And God likes difficult. Well, at least he likes it for me. See, but with Abraham, he didn't just make it difficult. Because difficult with God always moves from difficult to impossible. It always moves from difficult to impossible. 
because not until it's impossible can it become a miracle. So he always takes difficult to impossible so that he can perform a miracle. Example, feeding the 5,000. He took them all the way out somewhere else, knowing what was going to take place. He wanted them all the way out in a secluded place so that they could get hungry, difficult. Then he would tell them, we're going to feed them with five fish and two loaves, or five loaves and two fish, impossible. And then he performs a miracle. They ask him, why was this man born blind? He must have sinned. Nope. I made it difficult. He was born this way. Wasn't going to nobody sin. I just needed it to be impossible so that I could perform a miracle and I could get some glory. Nobody sinned. What else? Lazarus, his buddy. He dies. He's sick. All Jesus had to do was show up and he could be healed. But he waits an extended a period of time just so that Lazarus would die in a grave because he wanted to take difficult. He was sick unto death. He wanted to take difficult to impossible and then he performed a miracle. Jesus cried when he saw this. He cried when he saw the anguish of the family. Because yes, it matters to God what you're going through. He felt their pain. He knew what they were going through. But he knew it was necessary to take difficult to impossible so that there could be a miracle. I haven't forgotten we're talking about promises. Caleb crosses over with Joshua into the promised land and has to wait 40 years before he can say, give me my mountain. Because God waited till it had passed difficult and gotten to impossible to give him his promise. Abraham was persuaded that God was able to perform what he promised. He was Able to perform it. I'm just going to skip to the end here. I, I literally ran in this room from the airplane. Abraham is 100 years old. And his wife is 90 years old. Actually, 99 and 89. And God says, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And Abraham laughs. He laughs out of joy, right, when he's told. But when Sarah laughed, she said, you're crazy. You're crazy. Because here's why Abraham was so persuaded. Because this promise started a long time ago. It started a long, long time ago. You see, if you read the story of Abraham, you get into Genesis chapter 11 when We learn about the Tower of Babel and then all the lineage. And you'll get down to the bottom of some verses we normally overlook. You'll see that his daddy, 
decided to leave the, the Ur of Chaldees. He decided to leave that territory and take his son Abraham and his grandson Lot and the other brother because the, the third Abraham, uh, Lot's daddy had gotten killed. And so he wanted to take the three of them and he took them and their families. And he said, we're going to go to the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan. We know the land of Canaan is the promised land. But somewhere along the way, he stopped. And the Bible says that he settled in the land of Haran. And for 250 years, the dad and the family stayed in that place. They stayed in that place. And it wasn't until daddy died that God came to Abraham and he said, get thee up and get thee out to a land I will show you. He didn't even know it, but he already had a promise in him because his daddy was trying to take him there. But his daddy settled for the darker place. Literally means darkness and burning and drying. He settled for the darker place because the journey was too hard. But Abraham got something his daddy didn't get. Abraham got a word. <laughs> Abraham got a word. So it didn't matter how long it took, he knew it would come to pass because Abraham got a word. And everywhere Abraham went, for some reason, he was blessed and favored and blessed and favored and blessed and favored. Look, as blessed and favored as he was, he still didn't have a promise because he had no seed. He went everywhere. He even told his wife to act like his sister in another land. So that because she was pretty 60 years old, this woman was beautiful to the point that he said, you're going to act like my sister because they're going to want to kill me to take you. So you're going to be my sister. She ends up with Pharaoh. How does this is during the Egyptian empire? Huge. If you study history, huge. And somehow Abraham is so influential at this point that he can talk face to face with Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't even kill him. Pharaoh says, you should have told me. Get out of here. And he sends them away with, with stuff. Just like when the Hebrew people come back to Egypt, they leave with stuff. Because that's how God does with his people. So he's going through it. And he, at this point, he's 75 years old. It's another 24 years before God says, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. By this time next year. During that process, he manipulates the promise. He manipulates the promise and he, he marries uh, uh, Hagar, right? And they have Ishmael. And the thing about it is God is so good about his promise. He already made his promise. All your seed will be blessed. So Ishmael had no choice but to be blessed. Even if that wasn't God's plan, he was still going to be Because God's word, God always does what he said he would do. All right. I said all that this morning. All of what I said this morning to tell you one thing. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't settle. Stop settling. Stop looking for less than. You're not just anybody. You're a child of God. God called you by name. 
He didn't pick you just because you decided to come to church. He picked you because he designed you that way. God chose you from way back. So whatever you're going through, don't sweat it, honey, because God will do what he said he will do. He picked you. He picked you. He handpicked you. He handpicked you. Well, you don't know what I'm going through, Pastor Josh. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm going through. You see, hopeless people, hopeless people tend to get apathetic. Hopeless people tend to get apathetic. They tend to act like they don't care. And people that lose hope either become, either they, 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 they either are willing to kill something or kill themselves. People that are hopeless. That's what happens with hopeless people. That's why you see so much violence running through this country. If you go to the wrong city, you can't even walk down the street to get a, a gallon of milk because you're scared that somebody might do something to you. Why? Because people are hopeless. They're hopeless. They've lost their expectation. And what I've noticed is that the people of God need to get their hope back. They need to get their hope back. They need to get their expectation back. You're not anybody. You're a child of God. If you're in this room, you say, Pastor, I don't know if I'm a child of God. Well, I'll tell you one thing. You're in this room, which tells me that God chose you to be here for such a time as this. And you need to get some hope up in your life. Because the promises of God are yes. They are yes. They are yes. And amen. They are what? Yes. So stop saying no. Stop saying no. Stop saying no, he won't do it. Stop saying no, it won't come to pass. Stop saying no, it's too hard. Stop saying no, I don't know if this is going to work out. Stop saying no, that's not him. Stop saying no, that's not the job. Stop saying no, I'm not willing to take the chance. Stop saying this might be the promise and God's promises are. They are yes and amen. Amen. It is finished. When Jesus was on that cross, he said, Amen. It is finished. Why? Because I'm the promise. That's what Jesus was saying. I'm the promise. And I'm up here and God's promises are yes and amen. So when you're looking at what you're going through, don't complain. When you're facing the hardest time of your life, don't complain. When the devil comes at you like a flood, don't complain. When the weapon formed against you seems to be prospering, don't complain. Don't complain because it might nick you up a little bit. It might even beat you down a little bit. But my Bible says no weapon formed against you shall. That means it's not going to work out. It might work for a little bit, but it ain't going to work until the end. Why? Because I am persuaded that what he promised, he will perform it. I still have expectation for God's promise. Because it's got to come to pass. It's got to come to pass. It's got to come to pass. And what I learned about God is he's just a little dramatic. He's just a, he's, he's a lot dramatic. He's a lot dramatic. And so when God puts on a performance, he don't want no, no uh, 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 little elementary school cantata. When God puts on a show, it beats Broadway, baby. It beats the Oscars because his performances, they're bad to the bone. 
their bad to the bone. And he just so happened to pick you to be the subject of his story. And so he needed that story to get a little muddy. And he needed that story to get a little ugly. Because there had to be some kind of redemption up in that story for it to be a good one. There had to be some struggle to overcome for it to be a good one. And all the best stories are those stories that are a little more than difficult. They are impossible. And when they become impossible, those are the best movies you'll ever watch. It's those impossible stories where them guys have to cross hills and mountains across all the desert and the fire just to get to a safe place all while being chased by soldiers that are trying to kill them. I don't know about you, but I've lived life that way. It feels like I'm crawling on my belly. It seems like I know what you said, God. You gave me a promise of prosperity. You gave me a promise of redemption. You gave me a promise of favor. You gave me a promise of success. You gave me a promise of peace. Why am I so messed up in my head? Why am I so messed up in my body? Why am I so messed up in my relationships? I don't understand. You said it because he likes it like that. Because his performances are the best performances. He doesn't wait till it's bad. He waits till it's impossible. Why? Because you're the miracle he wants to put on display. I need somebody to take a minute and give God some praise because it's still coming. Don't give up. Don't give up. His promises are yes and amen. His promises are yes and amen. They're coming your way. Somebody give God praise. Hannah. Hannah's barren. Her husband has another wife. But her husband's favorite wife is Hannah. But Hannah don't have no kids. The other wife does. And the other wife likes to shove it in the face of Hannah that she got kids, but Hannah don't got kids. You got any haters like that? Want one, shove them back in their face. Hannah has no kids. She goes to God. If you give me one, I'll give them back. If you give me one, I'll give him back. Sometimes God lets it get as far as it can get because he wants to make sure that when he gives you his promise that you'll still be willing to give him praise. He wants to know that you have become what he made you to be to walk in that promise. See, it's not about the things and the feels and all that. It's about he did send you here are a word of God. He spoke you into being and he wants to make sure that his word does not come back void. 
but that it prospers in the thing for which it was sent. So I see Abraham laying his son on an altar. God is not willing to ask of you anything that he's not willing to do himself. Because he laid down his son. He laid him down. He laid him down. Will you still give me praise? Some of you standing on a word that you got maybe. When I was young, I was fiery. I always felt the hand of God on my life. Always. So strong. I knew I was gifted in certain areas, and I'd be real successful if I chased those paths. But I was always pulled back towards God, ministry, full-time ministry, because I knew I was called to it. I didn't want to do it. I knew I could make more money doing other things. That's really what it came down to. And man... God was faithful to do this, to give me word after word, whether it was from my dad or it was from Bishop prophesying over me, or he pulled me away and be by myself, and he'd just speak to me. I always had a word. And do you know, it's so hard sometimes to keep going, knowing that what he said isn't alive right now. Right now. That's hard. Some of you have that experience. For others, you say, man, I don't, I've never heard from God in my life. I don't know. Has God promised me anything? Does he even care? The fact that you're in this room or watching online says that he does. Because I'll tell you right now, he promised you grace. He promised you mercy. He promised you abundant life. The grind and the mess that we walk through in life, that's only to get us to a certain place. But there's a promise waiting for you. Don't give up. Don't stop fighting. Don't stop pressing. Keep walking. No matter how bad it looks, hold on to faith. Keep hope alive. Hebrews 6 says it's our anchor. Because when we get over here, hope can pull us back. Just when we feel like walking away, hope can pull us back. Why? Because God will do what he said he would do. I need somebody to stand and lift your hands and just begin to worship the Lord. Don't give up on your dream. Don't give up on your promise. Don't give up on that word. If this is your word, if this is anybody's word, I want you to come to the altar right now. Just come to the altar and lift your hands. Come on now. You guys go ahead.